85 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to wind down the proverbial hype machine. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about hype. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Letters from Whitechapel, Trogdor the Board Game, and Gem Hens. Then, we talk about the hype that surrounds some board games, and whether we think it's good or bad for the hobby. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. Before we head into the main part of the episode, we wanted to say that I, Crystal, am at Gen Con right now. Yay! Woohoo! <laughs> uh, I wish Ambi was here with me. And uh, especially because she's been to Gen Con before, so she could be like my expert on the Uh, ground. I don't know if I would be an expert anyway. I mean, you'd be more of an expert than I am. But regardless, (laughs) if you are at Gen Con this weekend, please come over to the Dice Tower booth and say hello to me. I will be at that booth the first and last hour of every day. So in the convention hall when it's open, that is where I will definitely be. So that's an easy place to come and find me and say hello and uh, tell me that you listen to the podcast because every time I hear that, it makes me super happy. And I'm hoping to have a lot of cool stuff to report on uh, after I get back from Gen Con. Chances are I'll have way too much stuff to report on. (laughs) But uh, if there's something specific you want me to demo or check out while I'm there, tweet at me and let me know because I would love to hear from you all. Recently, I've played a few games of Letters from Whitechapel, which I've briefly mentioned on the podcast before in, I think, a couple of the Dice Tower Con recaps, because I played it at Dice Tower Con last year, I think, and maybe this year too. I don't even remember now. (laughs) It's amazing how quickly these things leave our heads, and people wonder why we track games. This is why. (laughs) Yes, but Letters from Whitechapel was published in 2011, designed by Gabrielle Mari and... Gianluca Santo Pietro. It was published by Nexus, and I think the new edition is Fantasy Flight Games, I think. But there's multiple versions. But it is a deduction one versus mini game. So it's about Jack the Ripper versus the police, and the police are trying to catch Jack the Ripper. So Letters from White Chapel is a hidden movement game. There's a map board with a bunch of numbers connected by routes, and then Jack picks one number for his hideout that he has to return to each night and there are four nights and each night there are murders and he starts at the murder location and the police know where that is but then he's he's moving around he like writes down numbers that he's moving to uh, behind a hidden screen and then the police are like trying to move around their pawns to try to look for clues and arrest the spaces to see if like they can catch jack I, I like deduction games, if you didn't know already. And Hidden Movement, this is really fun because it's like deduction against someone else. And like the, the Jack person, if the Jack person is also like really good and being very sneaky, it can be really tough to find him. So one game that we played, there was a cold trail, which means we didn't find any clues because usually the police are looking for clues next to them. And if Jack was ever there, then you get a clue there. But like we had no clues at all. So we had no idea where Jack had gone. But then because we had eliminated a bunch of places that we were like, okay, he could have made it to this part at this time because you can count like how far he can go. And and then I was like, okay, I'm just going to arrest. <laughs> and then I got him. <laughs> oh, so, <gosh. laughs> so like you have to play 
you you can't be like careful all the time you have to like be um aggressive to be able to arrest him sometimes because otherwise he could, he would make it to his hideout the next turn and then like another game we played Toby's been Jack the Rubber. He's getting really good at being Jack. He he backtracks a lot. So when you backtrack, you can't tell if he's backtracking because all you do is check for clues to see if he ever was there that night. So if you already knew he was there, it doesn't tell you if he was there again. So that that's like a way to cover your tracks, basically. And and it makes it really hard to find him. But yeah, I, I really like Letters from Whitechapel because it's a pure hidden movement game. So there's other hidden movement games like Fury of Dracula or Hunt for the Ring that I don't know if I've talked about before, but I've played them. And those have hidden movement, but then they have extra stuff like Fury of Dracula. After you find Dracula, there's fighting and then he hides again and you have to find him again and there's fighting with like cards. And But I like the hidden movement part, so the other part just takes away from that for me. So, so this is just, I guess, streamlined down. Not, not streamlined, it's still a long game. It's like two to three hour game, but it's just the hidden movement part. So I think Letters from Whitechapel is my favorite hidden movement game because of that. I can't remember, have you played Specter Ops or not? Uh, yes, I played that at Dice Tower Cruise oh, okay. um, with Roy. That was also really fun. I think yeah. it's my favorite of this genre only yes. because it tends to be shorter. Yeah, I think that might be my second favorite now, because it also is pretty pure. But there's there's like some attacking, but but it's not it's it's more like hidden movement than the other ones that have more diluted of the hidden movement. I yeah. Think. So I've played yeah I've played all three of those as well. Uh, I haven't oh, sorry I haven't played Hunt for the Ring. So I've played mm-hmm. Letters from Whitechapel once. I've played for Fury of Dracula once, and then I've played Spectre Ops a number of times. Mm-hmm. And Fury of Dracula was. F- fine but like definitely felt way too long for what it was and since i had played specter ops previously i all i kept thinking the whole time is this is kind of like specter ops but worse <laughs> and like it's not a bad game but now that specter ops exists i'm like i yeah. don't ever need to play fury of dracula letters from Whitechapel was interesting but i didn't get a full experience because we caught jack i think in like the first <laughs> round oh like, wow it, it was really quick. We were all new to the game, including mm-hmm. the person playing Jack. And so I think as a group, it was easier for us to kind of get our yeah. feet underneath us. And uh, yeah, we caught him early. And we, we thought about playing again, but we had other stuff that we wanted to play. And this was a couple of years ago now. Um, so I would definitely be willing to play Letters from Whitechapel again at some point. But I mm-hmm. think Specter Ops is still probably my favorite. Yeah. So yeah, because we've been playing Letters from Whitechapel with people who have played more. So we're like learning from the experienced people that like the police can just stay in one spot and block the spaces, which is a good strategy. And so there's a lot of meta game there that's really fun, I think. It seems like with any of these hidden role or hidden trader or any games with this kind of mechanic in them, that when you're playing with experienced players, it can be a really different type of experience. Mm-hmm. Like, I love Battlestar Galactica, but I truthfully don't really enjoy playing it with a whole, a whole group of people who've never played before, yeah. because everyone tends to be very timid. The Cylons are usually really hesitant to do anything early in the game. And that's not to say that you always need to, but I think it's way more interesting playing with experienced players in games like this. Definitely. Cool. So that was Letters from Whitechapel. Mm -hmm. 
Rather than do a big review of one game, I'm going to do two quick reviews of games that I've played recently. And I've also talked about these on other things I've done recently, like Dice Tower Tonight. So y'all can hear more about them there also. But back in the early 2000s, I spent a lot of time on the internet. I was a teenager <laughs> and I was not antisocial, but I loved the internet. And so uh, homestarrunner.com is a place that I spent a whole lot of time back in the day. And when I heard that the people who made that webcomic were making a board game, um, like I got more excited than I can express. It was so exciting. So Trogdor the board game just shipped to Kickstarter backers recently and I got my copy and I got to play it. And I will say that I had very low expectations for this as a game. And I love the people who make Homestar Runner. I, you know, I know that they love board games, but I wasn't super confident in their ability to create an awesome board game mechanically. I will say I was pleasantly surprised. Trogdor is a cooperative game where you are controlling Trogdor the Burninator and you are trying to burn the entire countryside, you are trying to burn all of the peasants, and you are trying to burn all of the thatched roof cottages that are on the board. So you basically have to burninate everything to win the game. As cooperative games go, mechanically, it is pretty simple. You only have a certain number of actions you can do, um, and they are things like move, burrow, which will hide and protect Trogdor, chomp, which is eating peasants to gain their energy for Trogdor, or burninate things, so setting things on fire. And you're just trying to burninate the entire board before Trogdor runs out of life. And throughout the course of the game, the peasants are unburninating things, the knights are attacking Trogdor and also unburninating things. So it's one of those games where you're kind of chasing stuff around to try and redo the things that you already did because they're getting undone mm -hmm. by other people, uh, which isn't super interesting mechanically, but the, the art is great. I have the deluxe edition of the game, so I also have painted minis that are really mm, fun. Yeah. And as a lover of this intellectual property, I think it's a win. <laughs> I truly, truly had fun playing this. My friend, who had no knowledge of HomestarRunner.com before we, we played the game, also really enjoyed it. I'd say as cooperative games go, it's probably on the easier side, and there is a little bit more randomness in it than I would like because all of the knights and peasants move randomly based on these movement cards that come up so it doesn't matter how strategic you're being sometimes you can just get fully like destroyed by the knights and however randomly they move regardless super fun I liked it a lot if you liked homestarrunner.com I would say check this out especially if you have a family because it's a lighter cooperative game so I'd think it's good for families and stuff like that Cool. Uh, the other one that I wanted to mention briefly is Gem Hens. So while I was at Dice Tower Con, Alex of Gray Fox Games, our wonderful sponsor, uh, offered me a copy of Gem Hens, which is a new game from their uh, casual imprint, Social Sloth Games. And I will admit, based on the cover of the box and just a quick glance, I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know if this is for me or not. I didn't really know what to expect going in. And it is a really fun game. It's a lightweight family game where you are farmers controlling chickens who eat gems and then lay Fabergé eggs. 
And that theme is just adorable to begin with. But you literally have a board that has the like pin where all the chickens go and hang out. And you the farmer's throwing gems into the yard to entice them. And the chickens are also scratching up gems from the yard. They can do a scratch action and pull gems up out of the dirt. And then you're eating gems and placing them onto a Fabergé egg board in front of yourself. And it's a set collection game. So you're trying to collect sets of specific colors of gems. And then at the end of the game, you will score points based on how many sets you completed and the value of the gems in the sets that you completed. It's really pretty simple. Um, moving the chickens around the board is great. There's a real-time dice uh, rolling in this game so you have 30 seconds each round to roll your dice and you can re-roll as many times as you want and based on what faces you rolled will determine what actions you get to take so it's the real-time aspect isn't as stressful as some real-time games because it's just rolling dice and you always can do something with every single die so it's pretty nice um, I really liked it. I think as a family weight game goes, this one is a real winner and it looks great on the table. Uh, the gems and the little chicken meeples uh, and the farmer meeple are all great. So I would say if you're at Gen Con this week and you're looking for a light family style game, that this uh, one is definitely one to check out. And when Gray Fox Games gave it to me, they did not, they never ask us to specifically review any of the games that they give us. So I am doing this because I wanted to and I really liked the game. So in case that matters to anyone. They did not ask me to review this game. They just handed it to me. So that one is Gem Hens from Social Sloth Games, which is an imprint of Gray Fox Games. For our thematic segment this week, we were kind of inspired by the fact that uh, our friends over at the Epic Gaming Night podcast just had their final episode this past mm. Monday. Uh, Ambie and I were guests on that show, so you should definitely go uh, over to their YouTube channel and take a look at that because it'll be pretty fun. I say will be pretty fun because we haven't actually recorded <laughs> it yet, but I'm sure it was fun. <laughs> This whole time travel thing with podcasting is hard to manage. But regardless, since Epic Gaming Night just ended its run, we are doing an episode all about hype. Because if there is one thing, if there is one thing that Roy Candidate is known for, it is the word hype. <laughs> Everything is hype for Roy, and we love it. And so we're going to talk about hype in board games and what that means and if it matters or not. <laughs> kind of does, but kind of doesn't, I think is yeah, where we're going to Yeah, depends who you are, I think. Right. So for those who aren't aware, the definition of the word hype, there's actually a lot of different definitions, but basically uh, as a verb, it means to stimulate or enliven or to promote or publicize extravagantly. There's also de uh, definitions that are noun-based, like uh, it's a deception or a put-on or publicity. Huh. And hype can be used as an adjective, too, to mean excellent or cool. This is all coming from Merriam-Webster. But I think most people generally think of hype as excitement surrounding a thing. And there's variations of that. But I think in board games, that's a pretty solid definition. Yeah. I didn't know that deception was in the dictionary definition of it. That's there are also some other definitions in here that are not family-friendly that I'm not <laughs> mentioning um, that are related to bad stuff so <laughs> <laughs> so i guess hype is good or bad <laughs> well in that regard yes but in in regard to board games it means a specific thing <laughs> yes 
So, Ambie, are you and I part of the board game hype machine? I think sometimes we are because we play the new games. I mean, talking about Gen Con and all these new games coming out, we played a bunch of new games at Dice Tower Con and talked about them. So whenever we talk about these new games unreleased or like just came out that are really cool, that's like hyping up the games, I think. I would agree. I would say that for the most part people who are making content about board games, mm-hmm. even if they try and focus on older games occasionally, like we do, mm-hmm. I think we're part of the hype machine. Because yeah. even if in our episodes we're talking about older games, I'm often tweeting about how excited I am about the new stuff. <laughs> like that new digital board game system that is getting talked oh. about online or whatever that's like kind of it's got like you know pieces that the board can recognize digitally and stuff like do I think that that's gonna work and be great I don't know but it sure (laughs) sounds exciting but even I guess we could still hype up old games too like I do with all the 18xx games those are mostly old and I'm just hyping them up for people (laughs) so a single person hyping things up I mean like a single person can hype something up Mm -hmm. but can a single person create hype by themselves i don't know you know (laughs) because i think when i think of hype in board games i think of those games that everybody's talking about or a lot of people are talking about so i think even if like if you and i we should start oh man we should start (laughs) a hype campaign for a really old board game like pick something obscure and random that happens to be good well flip the table kind of did that and then created (laughs) like a whole thing for it right so i literally saw people tweeting about gone birding today which is a vhs bird game (laughs) that flipped the table covered back in the day and someone saw it at a thrift store tweeted about it and then elizabeth hargrave chimed in and uh chris moderator chris from flip the table was like yep it was uh, one of our best episodes, and we said a game about ornithology could never work, and then you had to go and prove us wrong, which is a really great example of sometimes, I think, in board games, we have expectations about things, and we're not always right. Uh, yeah. I mean, Wingspan has most certainly benefited from the hype around it, and that's yes. not... I think it deserves the hype that it's receiving, for the record, but I think it's really neat that more mainstream outlets and stores that are not board game related are carrying, are interested in Wingspan because of yeah. all the hype around it. Yeah, that's really cool, because it's growing the hobby, making more people aware of board games. That means more people can play with us. <laughs> yeah, and someone, I can't remember who, I'm sorry I can't credit this, but I saw a tweet from somebody the other day that said that their daughter, every time she tells somebody about Wingspan, she shares the fact that it's designed by a woman. <laughs> and I, like, that kind of thing literally makes me want to cry, because it's the thing we've all kind of been wanting to happen, is like, we want women to have more representation in board games and people are noticing when it happens and it's good and it's exciting and I want more of it. (laughs) Yeah. So when is hype a good thing? I think we're touching on this already a little bit with like wingspan, but what, what is hype good for? It's good for getting people to learn about games, getting advertisement for the game. I guess it's good for like publishers of games. If I mean, that makes sense. Hype. So if you're a publisher, I wonder what 
I, I shouldn't say I wonder. So I work in marketing, uh, not for a board game company. I work for a credit card company. But that's kind of what marketing is, mm-hmm. is trying to present the best piece of the products that you put out in a way that will encourage other people to talk about it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a lot of research and people user reviews and user recommendations are one of the strongest ways to market a product. Like people believe their friends and even strangers on the internet often more than the company that's selling you the product. And that does make sense because the company selling you the product has something to gain from you buying it. Whereas strangers on the internet don't. So I think that would be why it's interesting though, that you would trust one stranger over another, but it does make sense. Yeah. So what's bad about hype? Where, where does, what, what bad things can come from hype, especially in board games? So I guess the bad things is from the consumer perspective, there's too many games that are hyped. So you can't possibly play all of them. So there's the whole like fear of missing out and uh, that that's tough. Well, not just the fear of missing out, but the fear of not being part of a larger conversation. Yeah. Like everybody else is talking about this thing and I don't know anything about it. So may, am I not okay? Am I not cool enough or am I playing the wrong things? And obviously yeah. those two statements are not at all true. Like everyone should play whatever they want to play. And it doesn't matter what games you're playing. If you're playing nothing but Ticket to Ride all day, every day, you're still a board gamer. You're still valid. It doesn't matter that you're not playing the newest, hottest stuff every day. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that we sometimes in the hobby kind of forget that, which is why like during my Dice Tower Con vlog, when I was going around and looking at the games people were playing, I was trying to feature the people who were playing older games too, not just the Mm -hmm. games in the hot games section. So I was like, hey, Puerto Rico, you know, like I was catching those games that are uh, not as talked about now, regardless of whether they were in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another downside of hype, I think is, if the game doesn't meet your expectations. Ooh, so, yeah. I think we talked about this like a few years ago about being disappointed or something. <laughs> but Oh yeah, we've talked about <laughs> disappointment for sure. Yeah, but, but I think disappointment comes because, uh, a lot of times comes because of hype. So if something's really hyped up and you think you're going to like it, then you don't. <laughs> this literally, literally just happened to me, I would say, with Llama which we talked uh about in our Dice Tower Con recap. I I don't know necessarily that there was a lot of hype around it, but just the fact that it got nominated for a really big award, it hyped me up Mm -hmm. about it. Because in in my experience, most of the games that get nominated for the Spiel tend to be things that I like. So Mm -hmm. it's not just that it's an award-nominated game, but like, oh, the things that they pick tend to be things I enjoy. And when I played it and was super disappointed, it was like worse. If I had just played Llama without knowing anything about it. I don't think I would have thought it was good, but I probably wouldn't have been as disappointed. Yeah, so for me, I try to like avoid a lot of that hype or ignore it. So I I, I try not to have too many expectations about games when I try new ones, but sometimes it's hard to ignore it. Like if it's a game that has mechanics that I really like, like if it's a 
cooperative deduction game or something like real time i don't know i'm just putting together things you're literally naming all of your favorite mechanics yeah just throwing them all together yeah do do all of those things exist in a single game i'm not sure i think i saw like there was some game that was a real-time cooperative deduction game coming out somewhere and then i put it on my want to playlist or something but i don't think it's out yet i don't know i mean they clearly had you in mind when they were designing it i hope yeah but yeah, like most of the time I try to keep my expectations level. <laughs> I think I try to do that, but I'm not very good at doing <laughs> yeah. that. I yes. think I tend to build up my expectations mm-hmm. too much in some regard. And I think we in the hobby as a group tend to do that as well. I think a really good example of like group hype and group disappointment would be Seafall, because mm-hmm. everybody lost their collective minds <laughs> over Pandemic Legacy. And Pandemic Legacy was amazing, mm-hmm. really. Like, Risk Legacy that had come out before, I think a lot of people liked, but not a ton of people had played, or not as many people. Yeah, Pandemic Legacy was an even more amazing follow-up. And I think people were ready for Seafall to be the next amazing thing. And then they started playing it, and most people, from what I know were really disappointed by Mm -hmm. Seafall. And I know that the designer has stated that they have a lot of regrets (laughs) about the what 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 happened to make Seafall what it is mm-hmm. which bums me out because Rob Davio is a really good game designer like really mm-hmm. really solid and clearly there were some missteps here that you know we're not necessarily all privy to but it it makes me sad because I bet Seafall could have been amazing I bet it really could have been and from whatever happened it just didn't live up to what the players or the designer wanted it to be. Yeah. And I think a similar thing happened with Time Stories, oh, but yeah. more over years. Yeah, they spread... <laughs> they, 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 they sucked us in early and got us excited and then drew it out over four years. I mean, that's, and... ki- that's kind of like a TV show. Like oh, that, yeah. That happens really a lot is. in TV shows, too. <laughs> That's very true. I've there have been TV shows that I became that I started off really interested in mm-hmm. and then eventually became less interested in. Although yeah. for me it's hard to let go yeah. of some TV shows. I I tend to continue watching even past the point where I'm not happy anymore. Me too. Um, I me think recent like in recent past the only one that I quit that I can think of is The Walking Dead mm-hmm. because I watched it for a while and then started not liking it and then started liking it even less and then I was just like you know what I'm just done I'm done and I quit watching and I yeah. and I don't regret that decision at all yeah I'm I'm bad at quitting too like even with time stories and all of the things I've heard about the last case I still want to play it just because, I mean like... for the record I believe it is yeah. worth playing okay even though and this is there are no spoilers here for those of you listening I I ever I think it's widely known that a lot of people were disappointed with the last case, mm-hmm. but I I do think that there is value in it, and there is just like all of the scenarios, the ones that I didn't like still had interesting things in them, mm-hmm. and the system overall is still very impressive. I just think that they did not do a very good job with the overarching story across all of the yeah. uh, scenarios, and yeah. they set it up. They basically you know 
pie in the sky, too hot, too big for their britches, whatever, <laughs> like made it out to be a bigger thing and then didn't didn't give us the payoff, I think, that some of us were mm-hmm. looking for. But I guess that's one way to um, solve the problem of hype kind of for yourself is to wait until <laughs> other people have played the games and then you can see like how it's received after that. So then you can see if like it's a disappointing or if it's living up to the hype for everyone else. And That's a really good point. You can temper your expectations that way. <laughs> yeah. Like I've actually heard recently from, I think somebody, uh, a couple people in our Slack channel, if you're not a patron of our show, go to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz and you can talk to our patrons too. Um, they were actually talking about how um, they were planning on potentially playing Seafall. And I think at this point, you know, years later, you can get the game cheap because it's kind of failed miserably. And mm-hmm. so any copies that are around generally can be acquired at low cost. And if you go in with low expectations, I imagine the experience is probably more enjoyable. Yeah. If I had time, I would almost be willing to try it out, but I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> There's really no downside either because yeah, your your point about waiting is very astute and it kind of flies against this whole... <laughs> FOMO thing but there's two outcomes when a game is all hyped up and you know in the the public eye is either it will be just as good as people say it is and then there it will be widely available for a long time or it'll fail spectacularly and you can get it on clearance (laughs) and have lower expectations going in so really it seems like waiting is the thing to do yeah I know that I'm not gonna do that (laughs) We are part of the hype machine, but it seems like a smart thing to do. So those of you who are more patient than I am, uh, good on you. And you're probably much happier with a lot of the games that you play. (laughs) And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you're at Gen Con this weekend, stop by booth number 2801 to check out Reavers of Midgard, the exciting new spiritual successor to Champions of Midgard. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider or consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzketeers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, what's hype got to do, got to do with it? What's hype but a gamer's raw emotion? What's hype got to do, got to do with it? Who needs reason when these games are so awesome? Bye, everyone. Bye. about all things board games that you can listen to in less time. Oh, shoot. I don't know if we're in now. Last time it makes a question mark. Oh, because I deleted the TBD and I was going to type something in and I couldn't think of it. And I was like, I'll come back to this. <laughs> I just can't read question mark. That's not... Oh, well, that's a good one for the bloopers. <laughs> Alliteration, alliteration, it's alliteration time! Last episode, we asked you to retheme a game about finding a murderer for reliable medical professionals. What game was that, Ambie? That was Dependable Doctor Deception.
We kind of cheated a little on that one. Yeah. The full name is Deception, Murder, in Hong Kong. But we, you, we know you all got it anyway. So you're, it's fine. This episode, uh, our alliterative clue is we want you to re-theme a game about mech farming for people who come to your door uninvited that are covered in bubbles. Good luck, everyone. <laughs>